how do you know that? I just, I don't understand what goes on inside your brain, Brizana. I just don't. You could restore it all. And rescue me from pain. You had my fallen son. You erased it. How insane. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I have with me my tax forms advisor, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. Yeah, I was just trying to think. I think the last time we did a podcast, it was like, oh, what was that random crazy thing that I happened to know? Yeah. And okay. Yeah, so so listen, listen, listen. Storms. Those of you that l- listen to the podcast, you know that that I, I frequently joke about how Persona like knows random stuff that he really shouldn't know. And I was talking to him about how I needed to order uh, uh, some transcripts of my IRS tax returns. And what did you say, Persona? That it was form 4598T. Why does he know that? This is what I'm saying. Like, like He's like, oh, you're going to fill out a form 4590T? I'm like, how do you know that? I just, I don't understand what goes on inside your brain, Brazana. I just don't. I just it happened. I, it's funny. So I used to go to a tax accountant, a CPA, to do my taxes. And I'd have great discussions. And at one point, he's like, if you ever get tired of tech and want a different job, let me know. I will hire you. I will train you. You can come work for me. I just, I just don't know what to say. Um, well, <laughs> we, we are not going to spend our lovely time together talking about taxes. Thank God. Um, I just hope everybody's got their taxes done. It is We, we did pass the extended deadline. Um, I wanted to invite our new uh, uh, guest today. He's new to the podcast. He's been in the IT industry for over 25 years, having specialized in in security for it looks like about the past uh, 10 or 15 or so. And um, let's see, what was it? What were we going to say? He, he recently spoke at the what conference? What was it? The um, RSA. Yeah, yeah. He recently spoke at the RSA conference. You can find his work uh, currently at uh, jwgerlich.com. Uh, that's where his blog is, and his that's also his Twitter handle. Welcome to the podcast, Wolfgang Gerlich. It is so great to hear uh, about the tax forms. It's <laughs> uh, so good to be here. It, fun, funny story you won't find on my bio. Yeah. My family is is accountants. They're tax accountants. Oh. And to this day, whenever I go to a family reunion, they're like, isn't it time to get a real job? Don't you don't you want to become an accountant? I'm like, no, no, I, I, I like computers. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. But thank you, though. Great yeah. to be here, guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I I love talking to security people um, because it, it it's it's I I want to protect the data, right? I'm all about Curtis protecting the data. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've spent my whole life being uh, well, not my whole life, but my whole professional career, basically helping that last line of defense. Uh, making sure that if the worst happens, we can get all the data back. Um, and I see security people much more on the front end of that. And and and, and by the way, I've gotten so much better. You'd be proud of me, Wolf. Uh, back in the day, uh, you've been you've been you've been, you were a Unix guy back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, I back in the day when I was doing backups back in you know you know. 100 years ago, 
Um, all the backups were done via like RSH and dump and R dump and which of course required root level, the ability to, to RSH between Unix servers as root, which, um, what I, I remember back in the day, like hating security people because they wanted to turn all those things off. And I'm like, listen, I need to get my job done. And so my first part of my career was very much like not liking security people. <laughs> and then I realized that, that, you know, we all need to work together and we're all about protecting the data. And if they're trying to make my job hard, they're doing it for a good reason. Um, have you ever like no, they just want to make your job hard yeah no they just want to make my job hard have you ever uh, come up against like you know in all of your various times have you ever had somebody that just really didn't want to let you do your job from a security perspective oh all all the time all <laughs> the like, time he's like in, three in, times by last the week. way i will say You've definitely three times last week, but you definitely have come a long way. So I I uh, read your books back in the day. Your your modern data protection recently arrived, mm-hmm. and I was very excited to flip to the first page of the table of contents and see risk to your data. Here's all the reasons why we want to back up. So um, I was excited to see that because you're right there's always been this disconnect for so many years between oh well we need to to see everything and do everything to back up and do it and do engineering and the security people going i had a pen tester and the very first thing he did and this is a true story from my past very first thing he did was fish the backup guy and got at all our data (laughs) and was able to demonstrate how to breach us so we, we need to we need to be closing that divide for sure and I think that things have gotten better in, I'd probably say, the last five to 10 years where security is more sort of upfront, just like data protection and backup, right? Before it was uh, someone off in a corner doing this and telling me, oh, you need to back up your data. And I hate the impact it has on my production workload and all the rest. Why do I have to do this? I think just like backup, I think security has sort of come to the forefront of people's minds where they're like, hey, we have to think about this upfront. It is important for the business. It has gotten a little bit better, but I'm still amazed. So I, I do a lot of uh, mentoring and coaching work. I work oftentimes with startups that don't have a full-time CISO and they just want to bounce things off of me. And so I was having a conversation and I'm like, well, you need to encrypt your backups. And they're like, uh, sure, we'll, we'll tell our guy that. Next time I talk to him, he goes, yeah, we, we can encrypt our, our backups. I'm like, what do you mean you can't encrypt the backups? They're like, yeah, well, we're being told that the software we're using uh, can't do that. And in the cloud, it's got to be all clear text. And so is it okay if I just store this clear text backup in this other spot, <laughs> I'm just having a heart attack. But you know, a lot of the times the tools, especially in Kubernetes and some of the more leading edge IT environments, ah, they, they haven't gotten the message yet. Very frustrating. Yeah, I. So we'll come back to Kubernetes in, in a minute. But I, I, so in the, I will say in the mainstream backup space, okay, the important concepts like role-based administration, the separation of powers, the concept of least privilege, uh, the concept of encryption, uh, all of these concepts have gone mainstream inside any good data protection product. And you should be able to do all of those things. And by the way, the answer to your, your, your person that wanted to store their plain text backups 
in the cloud, I would say only if you put it in a bucket that has no permissions. That's really the the only way that you should store unencrypted backup. Just just make it easy for somebody to take all your data and then your company can just go away. But but all of those things are finally in the, you know, the the, the challenge that I continue to have with backups from a security perspective is that one thing hasn't changed since I entered the industry almost 30 years ago now. And that is that no one wants to be the backup person. And so what happens is it's this revolving door. And so you give it to the most junior person. You give what should be one of the most critical jobs in your data center to the person who literally just learned how to log into a Unix system. I mean, I, I had I had <laughs> been a Unix person for a week when I was given the root password to every server in a $35 billion corporation, right? And and handed the keys to the backup kingdom and said, here, back this stuff up. And so how are we going to expect these, these people, like, because going back to the, the person that asked that question of you, he went to his backup person. His backup person doesn't even understand these concepts quite possibly. And so doesn't know how to encrypted data. He doesn't know the tools that are built into his product. He doesn't know about tape drive encryption, right? Um, you know, the, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how to address that issue. And then on the security side of things, you know, from a security capability perspective, we're talking about business continuity and disaster recovery. And again, what do we do? We go, well, no one wants to do it. Mm -hmm. So we'll give it to a junior analyst who can maybe like download a template off the internet and talk to the backup guy over there and put us together something. We did, uh, my, my organization, I'm, I'm with uh, Cisco, and Cisco did a, a very broad study of uh, a bunch of, I think, 4,000 plus security professionals looking for what did you do and what did you get out of it? And what amazed me was the organizations that had really good disaster recovery that had, wasn't giving it to a junior guy to talk to a junior guy with the revolving door, but had a really good program, said that they were getting outcomes like, oh, our, our security is more cost effective. We've got less uh, unplanned work. We've got better support from our IT team. We've got better confidence from our executive team. And those are strategic things. If you talk to a CISO, that's what they want. If I was to say, you know what you need to do to do that, be good at disaster recovery and understand your backups. <laughs> there would be a long silence and they'd be like, uh, thanks, Wolf. Um, we'll, we'll call you if we need you. <laughs> it's really it's really an intractable problem and it's a, a, a overlooked opportunity, I believe. Well, it's 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 made a lot of money for me over the years, so that that I, I don't have any complaints. But at the same time, I um, and by the way, I, I have to thank you for you know buying the book and not only buying it, but but plugging it on my own podcast. I, I wanted to wanted to thank you for that. But um, and, and speaking of which, I just want to throw out our, our disclaimers. Uh, we all work for different companies. We're not representing our companies. We're we're offering our own opinions here. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And uh, if you have something interesting to say in any area that's related to data protection, data security, uh, backup, DR, archive, uh, media management, 
you know, whatever, anything in that category, we'd love to have you on. Just or stories. Or stories. Yeah, we like stories. We love stories. <laughs> Wolf, um, I, I was watching a presentation that you gave uh, in April. You, you, you just made a reference to passwordless security and that I know that that is, I know that one of the things uh, that data or that the information security professionals are sort of pushing towards is to get rid of the password. Um, what do you think is the current plan for that? What, what, what's the best way that, that, that we can get rid of the password today? So the emerging standards are broadly known as FIDO2. It's being developed and, and championed by the FIDO Alliance. It's also been adopted by the WC3. And FIDO2 is comprised of two protocols in the back end, one called WebAuthn, one called CTAP. That's as far as into the weeds as I'm going to go. But what they allow us to do is to say, if I've got a form of um, identity, and that can be a gesture, that can be you know my fingerprint, a biometric, and I've got an authenticator that is a, a strong cryptographically secure uh, ID that I unlock with my gesture, mm -hmm. um, that I can use that to authenticate into, a, into another application or device. Super cool for a number of reasons. One, no one likes passwords. They suck. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your conversation of early days where we, we had to log into every single device. Uh, two, Passwords are getting stolen all the time, mm -hmm. as we know. I mean, uh, Have I Been Pwned is, is a great website to see how often your passwords have been stolen. And, and three, if the data is not backed up correctly, if it's in clear text, you know, you steal back a file, um, suddenly you've got all these passwords that you can go ahead and reuse. The This model of passwordless, again, supported by the FIDO2 uh, protocol, uh, allows me to biometric into my phone. My phone says, yep, that's Wolf. And uh, there is a you know public-private key uh, exchange with the website. I'm in. If that website gets compromised, uh, that's bad for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's not bad for me because <clears throat> they don't have a shared secret. Right? They have one side of, of that exchange and it can't log into anything else. What do you so think? It's a really good approach. What do you think though about that device itself, right? Mm. We've heard about solar winds and the supply chain attack, right? Everything now relies on that one device being secure, right? Be it Apple with its touch ID and its vault that they have there or whatever other mechanism, right? That you're using, but all of it now relies on that one ability. Does that now become a bigger threat point? or a more attractive threat point for attackers? It it does. There's the immutable laws of security, which have long stated if attacker can get on your device, it's game over. And uh, that has been true since the beginning. Now, moving the cred onto the device does make that device more uh, appealing to compromise. But most attacks today are, are remote. They're scanning, they're doing a password, you know, uh, injection, and, and they're they're trying to crack in. What will be interesting is this is this is my prediction. I'm going to give a prediction here in this podcast, <laughs> and we can see if it works in five years. Uh, in the beginning, ransomware was consumer based, right? You you would yep. ransomware someone's computer, and and game over. Um, no one thought it was enterprise. We all thought, oh, those those funny hackers. That's so weird. 
Today, what we're seeing is a lot of tech support scams. My my tax yeah. collector or tax accountant uncles fall for those all the time, unfortunately, um, because they're so pervasive. And we go, oh, that's that's so funny. Look at what they're doing in the consumer space. I would never laugh at my family, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I would predict as the device becomes more important, that tactic is going to become an enterprise-grade tactic mm-hmm. where they're going to use that to gain access to those devices uh, because... Once the adoption's up, the criminals are well-funded. They're not going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You, you touched. And. Go ahead. Go ahead, Persona. No, no. Go ahead, Curtis. What? You touched on, you know, my current favorite slash least favorite thing to talk about, which is ransomware. <laughs> you know, for a long time, I'd say long time, meaning four or five years since I really started seeing this. I remember 2014, for some reason, I don't know why it stuck in my head, but I remember 2014 being like the year um, that um, I really saw ransomware starting to take off. And back then, you're right, it was absolutely um, consumer-based. And I, I had a, I had an uncle um, that, that basically had, his whole business was on a laptop and he got the, you know, the old, the old ransomware thing, which was, as I recall, it was like $500 and that that had something to do with it was the minimum amount you could get without authenticating or something. I don't remember what the deal. There was some reason for that. That was easy to 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 defeat that kind of ransomware because all I had to say was just do what I've been trying to get you to do all along: back up your data. And if you're a, if you're a data center, uh, you know, like what happened with Colonial uh, Pipeline. If you're a data center, just make sure that you have all of your critical systems in a good DR system that can quickly come back online and allow you to continue operations. And you could tell that, that ransomware attacker to go pound sand. But we had this new world where the, you know, where the ransomware attack is, I'm going to release your personal data or, or your company's, you know, personal data. And the, the big one I remember there, the first one that I remember was actually Sony, right? The big Sony attack uh, where they they did it. They released all this. I don't remember if that was- Emails, right? That was a, was it a was ransomware emails, attack right? or was about- it just like an attack to, uh, because it was connected with the Korea thing. Um, like the, the, there was some theories that they just did it just it was, to embarrass them. It was a straight them. attack. Yeah, okay. It was yeah. just to embarrass them. There wasn't yeah. money at, uh, attached to it. Mm-hmm. But that's what, that's what they did with Colonial. They said- they said, even if you bring the stuff back up online, we're going to release your information. So I know in the case of Colonial, they both recovered their data because the ransomware, this was the really weird part, was that the ransomware tool uh, was too slow at decrypting the data. So they actually found it quicker to recover it from backups. Uh, and then the other yeah. was, to, so they paid the ransom so that they wouldn't reveal the data yeah, and and then also re- restore the data. I, I don't know what people in your world are thinking that we should be doing to protect from that kind of attack. I think there's, there's three broad, broad areas, right? One is exactly what you talked about to traditional uh, bare metal restores, backup and restores. How quickly can we respond and get systems back up? And, uh, and we already covered the reason why that doesn't work. Most organizations don't have good DR yeah, or good backup uh, engineers that you mm-hmm. should delegate it to the most junior person. Mm-hmm. So that's that's bulk one. Bulk two is 
um, moving away from having to do restore and backup to the uh, ephemeral environments, right? There's this new concept called die, which is distributed uh, immutable ephemeral. And the concept there is it is quicker for me to erase and reload from the OS, from the app perspective, from the code perspective, than it is to restore. Mm-hmm. And if I can get in a good habit of rebuilding, mm-hmm. um, then I can use that as a tactic. So we've got our, our core system. We're going to do traditional BCDR on. We've got our emerging system. We're going to use die to just wipe and reload with some Ansible scripts. That will handle the response and recover, and your point, much faster usually than paying the ransom and decrypting. Mm-hmm. Now, the last part of that, the last step is, how do I handle when the adversaries are telling me that they're going to leak my data, if they've got my data? And that part of the problem is something we've been struggling with for years and years. How do you know when the attacker's in your network? How do you know when there will be data out? Certainly, there's tools like data loss prevention. There's tools like uh, intrusion prevention. Uh, but it's so easy to, to move around them. I think I mentioned earlier, we can have a conversation about that if you want, that I, I actually spent some time, maybe five, six years ago, writing tools to demonstrate these tactics <laughs> and very quickly gave up because it was too easy. So I don't know that we've got a good prevention strategy yet. I think it's still largely honing the respond and recover. Is there even for the data that's been exfiltrated is I know you said it's difficult to identify when it's happening or potentially even prevent it, but is it easy to identify what data has been moved? It it depends on the nature of the attack. So if the if the adversary can siphon off uh, the data and send it out in an encrypted format and tamper with our logs, um, which is is what we've seen in some of these events, uh, that can be very difficult. I'll give you an a example attack we were seeing in the MSP land for a while. I think this has been largely cleaned up. But the, the attack went, they would compromise your managed service provider, your IT provider, and it would send a command to stop the AV to all the machines. It would send a command to stop the backups. It would send a command to delete all backups. And it would send a command to install ransomware and then send a command to clear all your logs. Oh, and they wow. would break in and just boom, 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 boom. And you got this small company of 50 people who are relying on a managed service provider. And suddenly all their machines are, are ransomed. So in that point in time, without the logs, it's very difficult from a forensics perspective to, to determine what's been stolen and, and to call their bluff. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I know that sometimes what some of these companies do is they will offer you a view into what they have. They will send you screenshots of the data that they have. And they're like, look, here, we, here here's your CEO's you know, home address, social security, and birth date. <laughs> or whatever, whatever sensitive information they want you to see. I know that sometimes they do that is they'll, they'll send you just enough so that they know they're, so that you know they're serious. Um, and a lot of it is like, it's not information necessarily that would stop your company from functioning. It's information that will damage your company uh, reputation, right? Reputation with your, that you're not protecting your customer's data, reputation mm-hmm. that you're, you're a company that just doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, when I was watching your um, your presentation, you pulled up this uh, I don't know horrific slide 
that had all of the vendors uh, in the space, right? And you were like, this, this is the state of information security today. And it was like, I don't know, 250 logos of companies. Um, you know, what, is this going to get any better? Like, is it, I, 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 the difficulty for me is that like backup, so backup is, is an interesting space in that it does, it, it shouldn't, but it often does require specialized knowledge in order to do it well, to do it, to do it, you know, uh, uh, in a, perf- uh, you know, a, a high performance way to do it in a high, highly secure way. And to most importantly, get that restore done and do it in such a way that it happens, you know, instantaneously or as quickly as possible. Security is is definitely a space that requires a, a lot of uh, specialized knowledge. I, I, I but I don't think it has the the revolving door uh, that backup tends to have. What what do you think? Like, if I'm a company that that wants to do this right, um, you know, is, is there somewhere to start? Uh, and and is there some way, you know? I don't know. Do you, do you have sort of a, of a top three of, of the things that a company should be doing? Don't, don't keep any data online. (laughs) Go back to pencil and paper. (laughs) So the, the question is like your, your basics, how to be successful for a company is trying to, to protect themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, high level from, you know, your, your, like if you're given five minutes with somebody, you're like, these are the things that you really want to take a look at. What what would those things be? So when when you're starting out, a lot of it is visibility. Where who are my people? Who are my devices? What are the applications? And and how much of that can I see? Um, that seems simple, but inevitably, whenever I've deployed any sort of security solution, we realize, oh, we've got twice as many employees because we weren't counting contractors. Oh, we've got twice as many devices because of BYOD. Oh, we thought we had 10 applications and it turns out we have a thousand because of shadow IT. So you get your visibility and then you go pretty quickly into uh, threat modeling. What are some common scenarios we need to be protecting the organization from? So we threat model that out. You know, We need to think about accidents. We need to think about ransomware, those sort of things figure out what are the most impactful, and then you start selecting and implementing controls. Uh, oftentimes, the basic controls are multi-factor authentication, patch your systems, have a good backup. If you've got those three, you're probably in a good spot. Uh, but I think the exercise of thinking through why we're doing what we're doing is, is really critical. So that's why I would start with visibility and the threat modeling. And especially with environments being so complex these days, I'm sure trying to keep everything in your head or trying to model out everything becomes near impossible, right? And like you said, it's sort of focusing on some of those key aspects like ransomware, DR, right? Those sort of immediate threats, if you will, or the most critical threats or common yeah, threats, I should say. I would agree. Exactly. What you said, Wolf, is when I, when I see it as, as somebody who tinkers in security and 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 no one should trust me with their company's information security. Um, is that <laughs> I, I look at I, I when I look at a lot of these attacks, I see oh this attack was done via RDP, and I'm like, why are you using RDP? Or this attack was done via 
a, you know, a, a known <laughs> vulnerability that was patched a year ago in Windows? Why is your patching system a year behind? So yes, it, like if, if you just follow the basics, you know, which is make sure your stuff is updated, make sure you're, um, you know, make sure you're, you're not using the same password everywhere and all of those things. And, and, and from a, uh, inside the data center, making sure to give, to recognize the threats, right? We talked earlier about the backup person, the old school backup person. I used to say this, like the person in your data center that you should be most like scared of was the backup person because they had, they had the root password to everything. So they could literally delete your entire data center and then delete all of the backups of your data center. And there was nothing you could do about it. Right. So you should be watching that person like a hawk. Speaking of people, I wanted to, I wanted to challenge you on something. And again, this may be like, I, I scanned your presentation and maybe I misunderstood something you said, but I wanted to challenge you on it. Um, you, you, you talked, you, you talked about the, you know, um, I, I think what you were talking about is, is phishing testing. You know, you were saying that companies do a lot of phishing testing. I know Druva is one of them. Um, you know, we, we fish test our own people. Um, and you, you, I think what you were talking about was some rather heartless, uh, methods that they used to do phishing testing. They really played on people's fears. And I, I agree that some of those were not, not cool. Uh, but, but then you, you morphed into, you were saying that like, we need to put the trust in the device or the system over the person. Uh, If I, if I understood you correctly, I want to, you know, obviously give you a chance to restate what you were saying there, but I, I listened to that and I was like, but to me, when I watch modern, like I I watched, um, you know, a, a security professional, do a live hacking demonstration and his live hacking demonstration wasn't using, you know, SQL injection or, uh, uh, memory buffer overloads. It was getting a guy to put his password in the wrong place. Right. Um, it it was, he, he was, he was, uh, appealing to that person's hubris. He got somebody to think that he was being invited as a speaker to a conference and he just needed to download the latest zoom client, but it wasn't a zoom client. It was a, you know, it was a a backdoor thing and then boom, he was in right. You know, isn't the person is, aren't our employees like the (laughs) the problem? (laughs) How do, how do you, I don't know. So, so you, you probably know what you were trying to say there. What did I get wrong? So, In early aviation, in the first two decades of aviation, paper after paper after paper would tell you that 85% of all plane crashes were due to pilot errors. People just were stupid, right? What's wrong with them? Why can't they fly fly a plane? Um, In early manufacturing, first couple decades, study after study showed that uh, manufacturing accidents, 85% of them caused by people. Why, why couldn't they just do what they're supposed to do? Uh, automotive, we start driving, right? We start driving. What are the causes of car accidents? Well, people just can't drive. 85% of the car accidents are caused by people. Verizon data breach report this year, 2021, came out about a month ago. 85% of breaches 
are caused by people. Right. What did we do with cars? We made safer cars, seatbelts, airbags. Um, now we've got driver assist, anti-lock brakes. What did we do with planes? We made safer planes, put in place checklists, gave them better instruments, uh, rotated people out so we weren't exhausting them. What did we do with manufacturing? We thought about ergonomics. We thought about safety. We put in place mechanisms. Fundamentally, any new industry, um, the mistakes are made by people because we haven't taken the time to design better safety systems. Hmm. So why are hacks caused by people? Hacks are caused by people because we haven't taken the time to design a system that goes, that's a phishing email. We're not going to give that to Wolf. He's tired. He's got enough going on. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's... A, I, I think that makes I, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So sort of acknowledging that, well, like you said, the problem is the people, but we need to we need to give the people seatbelts, right? We need to put, you know, airbags in front of them and, you know... To continue your analogy, by the way, a, a random factoid: do you do you know where the term jaywalking came from? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great factoid. So uh, original automotive when they're trying to get the culture change so that uh, the cars could drive through the highway, right? They had this ad campaign, and that if you were a jaywalker, that meant you were unsophisticated. You didn't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it, it it actually the term jay apparently was already in use. And it basically meant a stupid person. So it was a person, a stupid person walking. Basically, it was because it was like you were talking about. They, they had this problem with people walking in front of cars and getting killed by, uh, you know, driverless or, or horseless carriages. And so it's the fault of the car. And so they yeah. they there was an ad campaign to, <laughs> to create this concept. Well, it's the stupid person stepping in front of the car not the fact that we have this this giant <laughs> automobile um absolutely interesting it's just an interesting little factoid it's a very interesting factoid I, can i give you a quick follow-up to that yeah uh, i'll give you my jay clicking story if you want yesterday i i get a text message because i have multi-factor set up on my instagram mm -hmm. that says here's your instagram code i think that's weird i, I wasn't trying to log in right after that i get a message on my phone sms uh, please click this link to, you know, connect to Instagram. And I Google that and it's like, oh, that's a phishing attack that's going on. I'm like, ah, I'm being fished. I am too smart for this. I will not fall for it. 20 minutes after that, I get an email from Instagram, normal layout. I've seen this email before. It says, there is someone in Poland with Windows uh, and Firefox who's logged into your Instagram. Is this you? And I thought, I run a Mac. I don't run windows and i'm definitely not in poland right now i think i would know uh so i click on the link no it's not me and they fished me with that oh they got me. nice nice and so thankfully it was a double fishing thankfully my my security system it was a double fishing they they got me to click that link and my system uh checks dns outbound and popped up a thing goes you really don't want to go here wolf and i was like oh. I that was oh what i realized God. what happened so Analog break saved me. Yeah. But if it can happen to me who's doing this and thinking about this every single day, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. I got crazy. I got fished by somebody lock, pretending right? to be lifelock. Lifelock, yeah. Which is just which is just fundamentally wrong. Uh what um and what what annoyed me afterwards was that lifelock couldn't tell me if someone had logged. I like I immediately changed my password. And, and I was happy to see that if you did log into LifeLock as me, even if you did log in as me, you couldn't get 
it, a lot of the data was masked, right? So it, you couldn't get, for example, my full social security number, that sort of thing. But I, it really annoyed me that uh, LifeLock couldn't tell me if anyone had lost. And I was like, of all companies, you. you should be a company that can yes. tell me if I have been compromised. <laughs> right. But anyway. So you just mentioned LifeLock. So that's a perfect example, right? It all comes back to to design. How how are the design of these applications helping us make sure our data is protected, our accounts are protected? Uh, how is the design making it easy to use? And that's really something I've been spending just a, a significant amount of time thinking about in the past couple of years, uh, especially with, with COVID. <laughs> it, it turned into my pandemic project as I've been blogging on you know, jwgorlick.com every week looking at a, a different design and trying to pull out a security lesson. Uh, because I think um, where we are today is is so muddled, so messed up uh, in terms of all the products and features and ways you can trip up. Uh, and the only way forward is to rationalize and simplify this. All right. Well, uh, I, I want to thank you a lot for coming on, especially given that I know that you have another speech you're giving a keynote in in 11 minutes so we, we need to let you go so i want to thank you uh a, a lot for for coming on and giving us your time no thank you both for having me and uh you know I, curtis i gotta say i really have appreciated you over the years i've went to your books time and time again i know this is my fanboy moment so thank you for the bottom of my heart for all that you've done because whenever i've needed a resource to figure out the world of backup and from a security perspective, uh, I've I've tapped you in your material. So thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the work you 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 did on helping me with the most recent book. So uh, with that, I will also say thank you to my tax advisor, Persona. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Wolf. It's always <laughs> fun learning about security and what we can do better. So thank you for that, and make sure you file your taxes. Yeah, make sure you file your taxes. If you haven't filed them already, you're you're a little bit too late. But. Uh, uh, thanks to the listeners, yeah. and be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See, I'll right on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. Work it all.
once it'll be completely done. Maybe 